I turn your attention this morning to the book of Mark, chapter 6 and verse 34. The book of Mark, chapter 6 and verse 34. I want to read a few verses in your hearing from um, this story that you may be familiar with and share with you what I feel like the Lord has given me for this service today. Mark chapter 6 and verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them. This is exactly what Brother Sims was just talking about. There is something about our God that when he sees many people, he has compassion toward them. Many of them lost because they were as sheep not having a shepherd, just wandering. And he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred pennyworth of bread and give them to eat? In other words, how are we supposed to give them what we have? We don't have enough money to feed this crowd. I want to speak for the next few moments in your hearing on this subject. The most famous miracle. The most famous miracle. And you may be seated. Thank you for standing If it's not the most famous miracle, it's one of the most famous miracles. In fact, it's so famous, it's the only miracle. So I think we could make a case that it's the most famous miracle. It's the only miracle that Jesus did that's recorded four times in the Bible. It's found in all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's commonly called the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, although... I'm not quite sure how accurate that is. The Bible says that there were 5,000 men that were there. Um, they most likely had wives and children, so there could be maybe 20,000. But however many there were, there was a lot. Somewhere between 5, 20, maybe even 25,000. And it was the most famous miracle because everybody saw it happen. There wasn't a small group of people that saw this miracle take place. It was a miracle that not only did thousands of people see, but thousands of people participated in it. They were a part of the miracle. Now, one thing you know about Jesus is that he never did a miracle to show off, just to say, hey, look at this, guys. That was not him. He always did a miracle to teach a principle or to teach principles more than one. In this miracle, we have the story, and this is what I want to share with you today, of how to have a miracle in your own life. Because the most famous miracle is the miracle God does for you. The most famous miracle is the miracle that God does for you. Now, I have traveled to 115 countries. I've seen a lot of miracles. But the most famous miracle to me is when God saved me and filled me with the Holy Ghost. Of all the things that I've seen and all the things that I've been a part of. Sister Amy and I were at a crusade in Bangladesh where uh, we were praying for people and literally... Uh, tumors under our hand as we prayed would shrink down to where you could not feel them anymore. Uh, we prayed for over a hundred people at, that probably because of the water and the food and the malnutrition, their eyes uh, have like a shade over them. They're cloudy. And as we pray, it's like the shades just go down on their eyes and their eyes open up and their eyebrows and everything gets really wide because everything all of a sudden comes into focus by the power of the name of Jesus. Incredible miracles that we have seen with our own eyes. Lame people walk, withered hands stretch forth, 
uh, even the, the raising of the dead. But the most famous miracle, the one that's going to have the greatest impact on you and me, is what God does for us individually. Now, I'm glad to tell you about a God who is a miracle-working God. He's not just a God that does miracles overseas. He's not just a God that does miracles in Madagascar or Bangladesh or, or any other third world country. I'm talking about a God, hallelujah, that can heal and deliver right here in the United States of America. I'm here to tell you about a God that is not bound by any geographical location. He's not bound by any socioeconomic level. He is a God, hallelujah, that is the God of every disease, every sickness this every crisis my God can do anything but the only way that you and I can receive a miracle is to know how to prepare for it that's the question today how do you prepare for a miracle how do you set the stage for God to do the miraculous uh, in your life. Someday you're going to need a miracle. You may need one right now. You may need a financial miracle. You may need a healing miracle. You may need a relational miracle in your family with your kids or your husband or your wife. But if you're not in need of a miracle right now, just hang around. Because one day you're going to need a miracle. And you're going to need, you're going to need to know how to prepare for the miracle. From this story, we find that there are four key ingredients on how to receive God's miracles in your life. What we see from this story is that we have a problem. Long before Houston, we have a problem. It was Jesus, we have a problem. We have a problem. It's a large hungry crowd that's been out in the middle of the desert all day to hear Jesus Christ teach. As the day wears on, they get hungry. And there's no restaurants in sight. You say, how do you know, preacher, that the very first church that Jesus established was Pentecostal? There you have it. They got hungry hearing the word of God go forth. Now you guys act all self-righteous and act like you don't get hungry. No, there's something about it. That might say, well, the Holy Ghost was poured out. That must have meant they were Pentecostal. Yes, but then it goes on to say they did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. God gave them the Holy Ghost and a love for cheeseburgers all in the same chapter. Now you can go ahead and join this whole generational X crew that thinks food is evil. I still think food is good. This is not in my notes. I just feel an unction. Not sure if it's from God or not, but I feel good about it right now. <laughs> they got hungry. And God is a God that not only meets your needs spiritually... He meets your needs physically and emotionally and mentally and socially. He's a God that can do it all. He's the super Walmart. He's open 24 hours. Everything you need, you can find in him. Don't, don't live in this cocoon of self-sufficiency where you feel like you can't say, God, I need you. There's, there's something about that activates the miraculous in your life when you admit that you got a need. I need you, Lord. I need you when I get up. I need you at lunch. I need you at noon. I need you in the evening. I need you when I go to bed. Every day that I live, every breath that I take, I need Jesus. It's a large crowd. They're hungry and they're in the middle of the desert. And as the day wears on, they get hungry and there's no restaurants in sight. No drive-thrus, no Chick-fil-A's. We got a real problem. When you got a problem, you need a miracle. And when you need a miracle, you need to consider these four things. They're all taught in this particular story. Here's the first one. I've already alluded to it. The first thing that you have to do is that you have to admit that you have a need. God is a gentleman. He's not a God 
that just sort of rams his blessings down your throat. He's not a God that just tries to, you know, do the miraculous when you're not looking. He's a God that responds to you asking for help. The Bible says, knock and it shall be opened. Seek and ye shall find. Ask and it shall be given. I've tried to, you know, don't tell my boys this because they'll get upset. But I've tried to tell them they're 17 and a half years old. And they want to meet people on their terms. They're like, well, we don't know these people. We don't. I'm like, the Bible says if you want to have friends, you've got to show yourself to be friendly. But everybody wants everybody to come to them. And you've got to put yourself out there. That's the greatest fear is to be embarrassed, I guess. I don't know because I, I can't, I don't know. Maybe that's something on her side of the family, but I'm not familiar with how that works. I'm not exaggerating this. I'm telling you this is the truth. Kirsten, you've known me for a long time. You know this is true about me. When I was a kid at the campground, I would find a boy and a girl that were teenagers that were trying to get alone by themselves. And I would just go and stand right by them. And they would say, uh, son, can we help you? I'm like, no, I just enjoy y'all's company. And I would stand there until they gave me money for the concession stand. And they would say, here, we'll give you a quarter. And I'd say, thank you. And I'd go and I'd stand by the next couple that was trying to get over in the shadows. And I learned there's value in being a nuisance. <laughs> The lady in the Bible that had gone to all the unjust judges and she said, I, I just, you know, there's no, there's no help. This is what the Lord gave in a parable. And, and finally, she just said, I'm just going to keep going and weary until I finally get an answer. And when they tried to tell the people that were crowding around Jesus, trouble not the master, he stopped them from doing that. You got to trouble the master. You, you got to make yourself known. You got to go to him in prayer every day. He's not going to get tired of you. If you just say, God, here I am again today. I'm right here. Here I am at the altar again, Lord. Here I am saying, I still need a miracle. I'm still dealing with this sickness. I'm still dealing with this crisis in my family. I'm not giving up. I'm not going away. I'm here again today. Here I am, oh Lord, once again. God will hear your prayer. But you can't get into this pride thing about well, I just don't want to keep asking and make a nuisance of myself. With the Lord, you can make a nuisance of yourself. But you have to admit that you have a need. Now, that's the starting point. If you and I want God to work in our life, we've got to admit it. I need your help. And for a lot of us, that may be difficult. We don't want to admit our problems. We want to hide our problems. We want to cover up our problems. We want to blame other people for our problems. We don't want to pretend our problems don't exist. But the very first principle of this story, this most famous miracle, is that God doesn't work in your life unless you ask Him to. He doesn't save you until you ask Him to. Ask is the triggering mechanism. Over 20 times in the New Testament, we are commanded to ask. So I come to Jesus Christ, you come to Jesus Christ, and we say, Lord, I've got a major need in my life that does not make you a weaker human being. That makes you a spiritually entombed human being. Because God won't help me unless I ask for it. But we usually don't do this in our human nature. We usually do three what I'll call self-defeating behaviors. Here's what they are. Maybe you can relate to some of them. When we have problems, we tend to either procrastinate or we tend to pass the buck or we tend to worry. Procrastinate, pass the buck, or worry. Now, are any of those familiar to you? You may not want to admit it. But I think all three of them are familiar and all three of them, by the way, are in this story. I love that the Bible is honest because it's dealing with real human beings. First, the disciples procrastinated. They put off dealing with the problem. They delayed it. Notice that it says, by this time, it was late in the day. Now, anybody could have figured out these people are going to get hungry at some time. We're out here in the middle of the desert. 
there's no place to eat, what's going to happen? But they just put it off. They just procrastinated. Typically, we do this with a lot of our problems. We delay. We procrastinate. We pretend it doesn't exist. We want to look the other way. But the truth is, procrastination only makes the problem worse. Don't put it off. Do it now. It's like, you know, putting your homework off until the last minute. It's, it's like putting your taxes off, paying your taxes until the last minute. But here's what we know. Delay can be deadly. Delay can be deadly. If you're a male, you probably uh, suffer from this male disease that I suffer from. And that is, we do not ever want to go to a doctor. We want to just complain about we're not feeling better. And our wife or some loved one will say, well, why don't you go to a doctor? I don't want to go to a doctor. They're just going to charge me $200 and they're going to tell me something that I already know. Like, take this, take that, and go home and get a good night's rest. I'm going to save $200 and just complain about it for two more days. We don't want to go to the doctor. Or we don't want to go and hear some report and something be worse. And so we delay, 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 delay. That's probably, I don't know all the scientific behind this, but I know that women outlive men. Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. But we just don't want to go, we delay. It's part of our nature, especially as it relates to health issues. But procrastination never solves any problems. What it does is simply make the problem worse. Now, that's the first one. The second one is we pass the buck. We blame other people. We say it's not our fault. It's all their fault. Now, notice what the disciples said. They said, send the people away. Send them away. In other words, out of sight, out of mind. Send them away. Basically, they're saying, Jesus, we didn't see these people, you know, coming. We didn't invite them. They sort of came on their own. It's not our responsibility to feed them. They're all hungry. Tell them to get lost. I may be taking some creative license, but you get the idea. Tell them to go to the countryside. Go tell them to find a store, make themselves some food. Whatever they got to do, go home, get some dinner. We didn't ask them to come. We do this a lot of times with our problems. We want to just kind of pass it on. It's not my fault. It's society's fault. It's the environment's fault. It's my parents' fault. They held my head under the bathtub water for three minutes when I was a little kid. And ever since then, I've wanted to kill everybody. Not me personally. I'm just talking about how people make... This is a rough crowd this morning. Brother Sims, be glad you're not preaching this morning. It's a rough, rough bunch. As a society, we just want to blame other people all the time. Then the third thing we do is we worry. We worry about our problems. If you... Somebody said this, and I think there's truth to it. If we would pray about our problems as much as we worried about them, you'd have an awful lot less to pray about or to worry about. Because he would take care of them. But we tend to fret and we stew and we get anxious and we get stressed out. Look at what the disciples said. They said, imagine the expense. It would take eight months of a man's wages. This is, uh, th- this is something that, that they just couldn't imagine. They, they, they started doing a little cost analysis and their anxiety goes into overdrive. I can imagine Peter or some of the other guys saying, Jesus, how are we going to do this? We got to feed five, 15, 20,000 people. How are we going to uh, transport the food out here? How are we going to keep it warm? Who's going to clean up the mess? Who's going to pay for the liability insurance? Who's going to pay for the food and all this? Their minds were going into overdrive. Worry, 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 worry. What are we going to do? All of those things is what we do in our human nature rather than say, Jesus, I need help. Wouldn't it be simpler to just say, Jesus, I need help. Well, they had forgotten who was with them. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's standing right there. He's standing right there. They're looking for Colonel Sanders. And Jesus is standing right there. We're looking all around for all of our problems to be solved. And yet the healer is standing right there. Oh, I believe that God wants to give this church some miracles. I believe it with all of my heart. But it's going to take some people saying, Lord, here I am again today saying, God, we need you to heal. We need you to deliver. We need you to set free. We we got people dealing with cancer. We got people that are hurting. We got people in a crisis. We need you, God. I come to you again today. I come to you again this morning to say, Jesus, you're the only answer. You're the only solution to the ills of this world. You're the the only help 
we have a problem. We've got to push past forgetting that God's with us. He said, I'll help you if you'll just come to me. But first, you've got to admit that you have a need. The second thing that you have to do is when you need a miracle, you have to assess what you already have to work with. You've got to take inventory and assess. That means you've got to kind of figure out what do you have within your own possession. A little realistic analysis of your own resources to say, what can I do? What is it that I can do? And how am I using it? In verse 38, he says, Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? How much bread is in the crowd? Go and see. And when they knew, they said five and two fishes. Now, the question I would have for each of you today is, why did Jesus do this? He's God. He could just rain, you know, manna out of heaven as he did the children of Israel in the desert. He's, he's done this before. Why did he tell them, go see what's in the crowd? Because he was using this foundation for the miraculous to teach principles. And it would behoove us to learn these principles. He's saying, what do you have? Go see what's already there because this is so important. If you're wanting God to do a miracle in your life, first you've got to admit that you have a need, but second, you've got to assess what you have to work with. That's where God always starts. He always starts with what you have given Him to work with. You take the energy that you've got and you give it to Him. You take the time that you've got and you give it to Him. You take the money that you've got and you give it to Him. You take the relationship or the talent or whatever it is that you've got and you say, God, here's what I've got. I know it's insufficient. I know it's not enough to do the miraculous, but God, I'll give you what I have. He wants to know that you need it. He wants to know that you're willing to admit it, but He's also wanting to know if you've got any skin in the game. Assess what you have. Do an evaluation. Notice verse 36. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You feed them. How would you like to be a disciple and have Jesus say that to you? You're standing there and saying, Lord, look at these 15, 20,000 people. They're all hungry. And Jesus looks at them and says, why don't you take care of the problem? The disciples respond, Lord, this is impossible. It's humanly impossible. It's financially impossible. It's practically impossible. We can't do it. Let me ask you this rhetorical question today. Has God ever asked you to do something impossible? Has God ever asked you to do something impossible? If you've been a believer for any length of time, I guarantee you He probably has. Not for you to be frustrated. Not for you to worry. Not for you to be stressed. But He does it because He wants to ask His children to do the impossible so that it will stretch our faith. He wants to test us. He wants you to see that He can be trustworthy, that it's beyond your own help. It's beyond your own ability. It's beyond what you can do and I can do. Ladies and gentlemen, we face impossible situations every day. There's people that I dearly love that I'm very close to in this church uh, that are battling cancer right now. And, I, and I, I, I was talking to my mother the other day and I said, I feel so helpless in this situation. And so I, I, I relayed that to, and as soon as I, I texted into my phone, I felt the Lord speak to me and say, that's how you're supposed to feel. You're not supposed to feel like you can handle everything. I feel like I'm preaching to somebody today. You are frustrated because something is out of your control. I've come to remind you today, it's not out of control for the God that you serve. You're supposed to feel helpless, but you've got a mighty God that can do anything. Just give Him what you've got. say, but what I have is not enough. I know. But he'll make up the difference. John tells us the same story. Jesus asked this only to test them. He already had in mind what he was going to do. 
Jesus wasn't sweating the problem. He'd seen the need long before they did, and he, he had a plan. He obviously knew that they were going to get hungry. He knew what he was going to do. He was just testing his disciples by asking, why don't you do it? Asking them to do the impossible. God is going to ask you to do the impossible. This next week, you're going to have problems come up in your life that you don't have the slightest idea how to solve them. A crisis literally is a crisis. Partially because it takes you by surprise, which is why it is a crisis. If you could plan for it, it wouldn't be a crisis. It's literally a crisis because of the surprise nature of a crisis. And some of you this week are going to get that phone call in the middle of the night that gets your heart racing and your adrenaline pumping. You hear there's been an accident or you hear that a loved one has been taken to the hospital or has passed away. Or something on your job or a call from your doctor. Or you're going to be called up by your school saying we've got a problem with your child. On and on and on. The scenarios and the situations are endless. And you don't know what those problems are. They're part of the problems that are still out ahead of us. And they're going to come up. But here's the point. God knows the answer even before you know the problem. God knows the answer even before you know the problem. He had the ram coming up the other side of the mountain long before Abraham and Isaac started their journey. Even before they decided to obey, the answer was coming up. Jesus already had redemption in place before man sinned in the garden. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He's already got the answer long before you even know that there's a problem. So if you're just now finding out about the problem, i got good news for you. God's been working on the other side of the mountain even before you recognize that you had a problem. You say, oh, pastor, I'm dealing with a health crisis. I I got news for you. God's already got the answer. He's already been working on the other side. You've not been able to see it, but God is at work. He's at work. He's not going to be surprised by the problem that has surprised you. He sees the beginning from the end. He knows every problem you're going to face the rest of your life. He's not shocked. He's not surprised. He's not blown away by it. You just got to come to him and say, God... You knew this was coming, so obviously you know the answer even before I knew the problem. So I'm going to put it in your hands. That doesn't mean that I'm going to be inactive, but I'm going to do everything that I can do. I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship. I'm going to glorify God. I'm going to be faithful. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. I'm going to keep doing what I know to do. Go to you, Lord, and say, I admit that I need help. Here's what I've got to work with. The little talent, the little ability, the little blessing, the little time, whatever it is. I'm going to take inventory of what is within my hands. And I'm going to give it over to God. Step number three. You've got to give Him. Give God whatever you have. It's one thing to take inventory. It's another thing to put it in His hands. And the third step to a miracle is that you've got to give God whatever you have. In the book of John, it tells a story that a guy named Andrew, one of the disciples, found the little boy in the crowd who brought a sack of lunch. It wasn't much. It was just five little barley loaves, five little muffins, whatever, and a couple of fish, probably sardines, dried up sardines. Ooh, I just thought about that. I like sardines too. I must be hungry. It's been a long time since I ate sardines, but as a kid, I remember eating them with my dad. You pull back that little tin thing on the top, and you reach down there. Oh, they're so good. Put them on a cracker with Tabasco sauce. Most people in the crowd were probably going like you are right now. I'm sure that in this crowd of 20,000 people, there were people that had a bigger and better meal than this little boy. But this little boy got to be the hero. 
Not because he brought the best meal, but because he put it in the hands of Jesus. Somebody out there in the crowd probably had sparkling cider and brie in their lunch. Somebody else probably had a real gourmet dinner. They probably had lean cuisine or something, whatever. I don't know. But this little boy, he's the hero of the story because he gives it. He gives what he has. It doesn't matter the size of it. It's a matter of whether or not you're willing to turn loose and put it in the hands of God. You say, well, Pastor, I don't have anything to give. God created you unique. You may not have the gifts and talents that somebody else has, but God has gifted you. And if you'll just put it in the hands of the Lord, you say it's not much. He doesn't need much. Five little rolls and a couple of fish. 20,000 people. He didn't say to the disciples, this is all you can come up with? This is it? Pass the plate again. <laughs> Have you ever been to those churches where they keep taking the offering up over and over? I'm thinking about doing that in these summer months because some of you are using your ties for vacation, I think. I... <laughs> Felt a little something right there just come up on my back. But I've, <laughs> I've, I've been to those churches where they take up an offering and they, and they pour it all out on the, and they run through it and they, we've got to take it up again. They pass it all again and it comes up and they put it out there and they all rummage through it. We'll do it again. Just keep taking up the offering until we get enough to pay the power bill. Or whatever it takes. Jesus could have said, that's all you come up with? Go out in the crowd again. Somebody's sitting on their lunch basket. We need more. But he didn't do that, did he? Just took whatever they could find and they put it in the hands of the Lord. That's the third principle, that God will use whatever you give him. The Bible says Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He blessed the food and he broke the loaves and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. Now that's interesting. I don't know how exactly this took place. I don't know how he did it, but evidently he just kept breaking the bread and it just kept multiplying. It wasn't like he went, abracadabra, and all of a sudden there was bread for miles. That's not what he did. It's just that as he broke it, it kept multiplying. Ooh, there's a principle in that. Sometimes your life has to just be broken. But if you'll just stay in the hands of God, he can keep multiplying you. Say, Lord, I wasn't expecting I was going to go through this, but I'm going to just stay in your hands. Because if I can just stay in your hands, this miracle's not just about me. It's about somebody else. Hallelujah. That's going to be blessed as well. It doesn't all happen all at once. But just every day, you see that God's been at work. And one day, you're going to look back and you're going to say, I saw Him work with me every day for 10 years. I didn't know how I was going to make it. But God made a way. Just kept multiplying and multiplying. Break off another piece. And, and here's a piece and another piece and here's a piece. And just kept doing it and doing it and multiplying. And everybody could see it. The whole crowd. Everybody got a piece of this miracle. That's the third principle. God will use whatever you give him. Whatever you give him, he'll use. He'll take it. He'll use it. Because God likes to use ordinary things to do extraordinary miracles he likes to use ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary tasks ordinary people I told you about this but I just felt it come up in my mind again so maybe it will be a blessing to somebody a few years ago we had started a stewardship campaign to, to be debt free and I was getting ready to teach back then the uh, Bishop's class was on Sunday morning. I was getting ready to teach that class. And a lady right down in this area, she came up to me and she said, Pastor, I'm going to be giving a million dollars to the church. And I said, uh, say what? <laughs> she said, I, I owned a bunch of Disney stock and 
I've got to pay $3 million in tithes. And there's three different churches. I'm going to be giving a million dollars to each church. And, and uh, is Sister Richie here today? Of all the Sundays for Sister Richie not to be here. The Richies are here 364 Sundays a year. But not this day. I said, no, but she'll be right back in town. And she said, I, I've got to move some stuff around, different banks and blah, blah, blah. But um, I'm going to be giving me. And she said, I'll get with you more after service, you know, because um, I want to, you know, make sure that we're able to get this to you in an expeditious fashion and all that. And uh, the whole time I'm teaching my dad's lesson, I'm thinking, I had already spent the million dollars before the lesson was over. <laughs> I said, God, you know my heart, and we're going to pay off the church. And, and everybody that's made a commitment to the stewardship campaign, I'm going to tell them all that all of their debts have been canceled, and they don't owe anything to the stewardship campaign because we were going to use the money to pay it. But somebody, God's put it on somebody's heart. And, they get, and I thought, oh, this is going to be amazing. It's going to be a blessing to the church. And then after the service was over and we were praying around the altar, she came up to me and she said, Pastor, you know what I said to you about the million dollars that I was going to give? And I said, yes. She said, I've changed my mind. I thought, what did I say? What did I do? I messed it all up somehow. And she said, instead, while you were preaching, the Lord spoke to me and I'm going to give two million. <laughs> the devil is a liar. God is good. Two million dollars given to the church. We're going to pay off the devil, build a new church. We're going to, oh, it's going to be amazing. Woo! I go out to eat lunch with my parents and I tell my dad that my dad's like I was like what she's not going to give two million dollars I'm like dad this is a God thing where's your faith you're, you're like a wet blanket we're all wanting to rejoice and shout he said that's not how God works I said, but he's God. He can work however he wants to work. I was fighting for it, boy. He said, God uses ordinary people. He uses ordinary people because if God did that, she'd be the only one that'd be blessed. And everybody else would not be blessed by stepping out in faith. God has designed his plan so that a multitude of people can be blessed. I said, well, can't he bless them in other ways? Everything that that week I spent that $2 million on because we never saw a dime of it and he was right as he usually is. That's why he's the bishop. But I was thinking back about that the other day and here we are a few years later and everything that we wanted to do with that money has all been done without that two million dollars. Because God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. It's not by our strength. It's not by our ability that we're in this beautiful building. It's because of faithful people that just put what God gave them into the hands of God. And God blessed it and multiplied it and blessed your children and blessed your homes and blessed your marriages. And that's the same God that we serve. The same God that did that can heal four or five people of cancer. The same God that did that can put your marriage back together the same God that did that can restore your children oh would you lift your hands and your voices in this place in the name of Jesus Jesus Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Jesus. 
of Jesus. That's it. Just let it marinate in your brain for a moment. Jesus. Some of you bring it to remembrance. Go ahead, Brother Rich. Go ahead. Go ahead. Jesus. us to stand to our feet right now. I got more to preach, but I just feel a, God is moving right now in this congregation. I, I don't know what every situation is. But I'm just here to tell you that you serve a God of miracles. He doesn't desire for you to look to another source of strength. He wants you to look to Him. Everything you need, you find in Jesus. Everything you need. You follow the example of the story. You have to expect it to happen. I expect Him to multiply it. Whatever I can put in your hands, oh God, I know that when I do, expect you to multiply the question for all of us today is what is it in our life that we don't have enough of is it time I don't have enough time that means that you're not giving to God what you do have because what you need to be multiplied is what you've got to give to him you don't have enough money, that means you're not giving enough to God. You don't have enough relationships, you're not giving that area of your life to God. Give everything into His hands that you don't have enough of. And He'll multiply it. But you've got to expect Him to. You've got to expect Him to do it. I've heard people say, I, I can't take the vaccine because it doesn't work for everybody. You know why? Because there's only one that's perfect. There's not anything that man is going to do that's going to be a hundred percent perfect. You're not going to find perfect joy on this earth without God. You're not going to find a perfect relationship on this planet without God. You're not going to find perfect health on this planet without God. There is nothing in man's hand that is perfected. But we serve a God. Hallelujah. Who is the mighty God in heaven and on earth? And He's a perfect God. Everybody ate. Everybody had enough. And afterwards they collected 12 baskets full of leftovers. I'm going to tell you one more principle about the miraculous. 
He never does just enough to meet the need. There's always a, an abundant supply. It's greater than it was before. When he restored Job, it, just, it wasn't just to where he was before the crisis. It was ten times more. Because God multiplies when his hand is in it. He's going to multiply it. I don't know what you have need of today, but I want to ask you, would you step out from where you're standing right now? Would you come and stand in this altar? And by so doing, this is just you metaphorically putting your lunch in the hands of God. What you may be dealing with may be be something totally different than what your neighbor's dealing with. But we've got a God that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I feel this in the Holy Ghost. There's some people that are in this building right now that you are struggling with a relationship. I want to. I feel like it's a parent. You're struggling with your relationship with your parent, and maybe they don't even live here. You've done everything you know to do, and that relationship is just painful for you. I feel like the Lord is saying, "Turn it over to me. Do what you can do, but put it in my hands." And I'll make a way where there seems to be no way. It may be a relationship with your child. You've struggled with it. You've done everything you know to do. I've come to say today, just go ahead and begin to praise God for it. And say, Lord, I've put it in your hands. I'm not going to look to another. You've got to be like his disciples. To whom else can we go but unto you, Lord? For you have the words of life. I have no other option. I've got no other plan B. I've got no other parachute I can pull if this doesn't work. You're the only way. You're the only hope. You're the only help. Come on, would you lift your hands and your voices all over this place? Come on, begin to turn it over to the Lord. I, I give it to you, Jesus. I give it to you, Jesus. I give it to you, Jesus. I put it in your hands, Lord. I can't save myself. In the name of Jesus!